fighting against Israel. And the men of Israel fled, fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan and Abinadab and Matashua, the sons of Saul. The battle went heavily against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and pierce me through with it, other, otherwise these uncircumcised will come and pierce me through and make sport of me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. So Saul took his sword and fell on it. When his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died with his three sons, his armor-bearer, and all his men on that day together. I would remind you again of 1 Samuel 9, 16. About this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel, and he will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. That's his job. That's what God made him king for. And I think it shows his failure so vividly that he does not deliver Israel from their hand. He dies at the hand of the Philistines. This offensive overtakes Saul, the Philistines kill three of his sons, the archers badly wound Saul, he wants his armor bearer to kill him, he refuses, Saul dies by falling on his own sword, the armor bearer follows suit. You see that for so long Saul has relied on his weapons, now at last his weapon is useful only to kill himself. Just really a sad end to this whole story. And, and a sad thing that it's not just Saul. It's Saul's sons, it's the armor bearer, it's the nation of Israel. Uh, my sin almost always affects more than just me. It damages other people as well. Now, that's this account of Saul dying. However, in the next chapter... 2 Samuel chapter 1, an Amalekite will come with Saul's crown and bracelet, whatever, to David and say that he killed Saul. And that creates some uh, puzzle for us. I think the narration here, the narrator, is telling the truth. I think the Amalekite probably ran across the dead body of Saul, took the stuff, brought it to David, thinking that if he said he killed Saul, David would greatly honor him. That was a bad mistake on his part, um, and he gets what's coming to him for that. So I take it that this is the accurate account of how Saul died. Comments and thoughts? Mike? I find it interesting to see, just like you said, that Saul was a failure at what he was appointed to do, and that as we apply that to our lives, we have been appointed to fight against the devil and against sin, but so many times we get turned aside to our own personal vendettas against other people who've wronged us personally, and we have to keep our focus on what battles we ought to fight, and we ought to fight God's uh, battles that he appoints us to fight. Amen. Definitely. Yeah. I find it ironic, Paul, uh, Paul didn't use his fear. <laughs> Good point. He would have missed. <laughs> he would have missed. <laughs> uh, that's a good comment. Dad. Um, I don't know. I think it's interesting here that um, the reason why he wants 
be killed before they come to him. It could have been because he didn't want to endure the pain of perhaps torture, but I think it's still kind of showing us that he's still, still concerned about his face and his reputation. It is only be thought of it as a person who died by these uncertainties. Yeah, it seems more noble to fall on his own sword. Still, you know, know, even his death concerned about his reputation and what he looks like as a man. Good point, Garrett. That's all I was going to say. Just he couldn't give up his pride even when he was dying. Good point, Jacob. In 28, he knew he was going to die. Why did he still go to battle? Why did Saul do anything? <laughs> <laughs> Stephen. Yeah. It's so, uh, unfortunately appropriate that he falls on his own sword. I mean, that is what we do when we sin. We turn to ourselves. It's our own weapons, our own selves that end up killing us. Yeah, I guess he's not the only one who's uh, spiritually fallen on their own sword, is he? That's a good point. Yeah. Other thoughts? Tyler? Comment. I, this is an interesting passage. I, I just ended up studying the, the two differences in the account there because I had a, an individual come to me. I'm non-Christian, and we discussed this, and he proceeded to tell me that this was a textual discrepancy. Um, so I think it's just interesting to know the way the two stories are told and how we're, even though you know we know what actually happens to Saul, we're made aware of what the Amalekite did as well, but we, so we can learn an extra lesson from it. Yes, you know, it's typical for skeptics to point to things like this as contradictions in the Bible, <laughs> which is really kind of funny. I mean, originally these two books of Samuel were together. Yeah. Whoever wrote this, you know, would have had to be a real dunce not to see that these two stories don't fit together. You know, I mean, a contradiction that was this glaring was surely purposeful. You know, a more subtle contradiction, perhaps they just didn't manage to get it out of there, or they, they made a mistake, or they got confused, or whatever. But you don't write about Saul falling on his own sword and 10 verses later write about the Amalekite killing him and not realize you didn't say the same thing. And so whoever wrote this clearly would have seen that and understood that and didn't view it as a contradiction or he would have taken it out. If that, from the standpoint of the skeptic who thinks this is just a fabricated story anyway. And, uh, and, 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 you know, we have so many of these things in the Bible where the story is being told in factual terms without comment. This is what the Amalekites said in 2 Samuel chapter 1. It's accurately what he said. Nobody said Amalekites tell the truth. We got a good impression of Amalekites from this book. You know, I mean, when, 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 when the Bible records Satan say, you will not surely die. Does that mean that there's a contradiction because the chapter before God said you would surely die? No, you know who said it. Satan always lies. So you're not expecting an Amalekite to tell the truth. You are expecting the narrator to tell the truth. You know, some of the things that are pointed out as contradictions in the Bible are just very shallow studies. Some things are more challenging, but this really is not. Okay? Well, <laughs> 7 to 13. When the men of Israel who were on the side of the valley, and those who were on the other side of Jordan, saw that the men of Israel had fled. And when Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. So it happened the next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head and stripped off his armor, and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols, and among the people. 
Then they put his armor in the temple of the Asheroths, and they fashioned his body to the wall of Bethshan. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard the Philistines had done to Saul, all valiant men arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. Then they took their bones and buried them on the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted for seven days. Okay, so the Philistines find Saul, cut off his head, strip his weapons, and uh, put them in the house of their idols. They put his weapons, for example, in the temple of Ashtaroth. They put his body, verse 10, on the wall of Bethshan. Now, this would be kind of like a gloating sort of a thing. This would be kind of like a, look what we've got. You know, tack his body up to that wall and let it decay. What a disgraceful thing. But that's not the end of Saul's body. What happens? Who? The men of Jabesh Gilead come and they get Saul's body and they give it a decent burial. Not only his, but his sons. Jabesh Gilead. Seems like we've heard that somewhere before, haven't we? What do you know about Jabesh Gilead? Saul had delivered them from Nahash, the Ammonite king. When did he do that? That was his first act as king back in chapter 11. His first act as king was the high point of his whole career. And it's interesting that at the end of his life, the men of Jabesh Gilead, to some extent, repay his kindness by at least giving his body, headless body, uh, a, a burial. Um, it's also interesting that 1 Samuel begins in the house of the Lord where uh, Hannah is praying. It ends in the house of these pagan gods uh, where they have put uh, uh, the uh, armor and so forth of Saul. Um, so uh, Saul and his sons die on the day that the Philistines defeat Israel. Does that remind you of anything in 1 Samuel? Eli's sons. Eli's sons and Eli died on the day that they were defeated back in chapter 4. So you've got kind of several parallels right here at the end uh, that kind of tie us back into some of the themes earlier in the book. Comments and questions? I find it interesting uh, that the Amalekite says, you know, in verse 10 in the first chapter of 2 Samuel, that he took the crown and the bracelet. Um, and we see that when Saul is dead and the Philistines find his body, they take the armor and they take his weapons and, you know, they cut off his head and they dispose of the body, but they don't mention the crown or the bracelet. I think the Amalekite came across him before the Philistines did and took it and then, you know, proceeded to fabricate the story. I agree with that, and that's a good point. Yeah. Yes. We're talking about uh, why they have a spear. In Second Samuel one six, it says that he saw Saul leaning on his spear. Yeah. Like sitting next to his spear. Yeah, which of course was not true, but it is interesting he mentions that. Hard to get away from Saul's spear, isn't it? Well, too hard to get away from it, but <laughs> that was a poor choice of words, wasn't it? All right. Other comments and questions. Yes, Jody. 
see it continue there and so why how good things would have turned out for him. You're right. Amen. That's exactly right. Good point. Other thoughts? Cameron. I think it's interesting that the men of Jemesh Gilead, they walked all night to go do that. And I think in our lives we should see what would we walk all night or stay up all night to do. Good point. Yeah. You Sometimes you see so much effort for even lower causes than what we ought to be putting effort into. Yeah? Um, this might be a strange question. But, it um, might be. Alright, so, so they bury him underneath the tamarisk tree. It's kind of interesting. <coughs> and in 22.6, like we find Saul sitting underneath the tamarisk tree. Like, a tamarisk tree is like a scary place ever since so I'm buried there. I didn't notice that, and I don't have a comment about that. Anybody help us with the under the tamarisk tree? I'm glad you mentioned it. <laughs> Something to study on. David. Stuff like that comes up a lot in Genesis with like the Oaks of Mora and things like that. You see trees apparently maybe were like landmarks and, and so that's why they mention them. I'm not sure. But you see a lot of trees mentioned in Genesis like that. That is a good point. Perhaps they were more landmarks than they might be for us. Not that we would never use them that way, but, but they do seem to be more used in Bible times than, than they were for us. Yeah, I'm from Alabama, we use trees to do get directions all the time. That's kind of like going back in time. <laughs> all right, other comments or questions? The Israelites had wanted a king to be like the other nations, and Saul or Samuel warned them what would happen, and now we have the end of their king and everything that, that they wanted. Look where it got them. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you know, there are overarching lessons in the book, and that would surely be one of them. I mean, this shows you what happens when you are like the nations. When, you, when that's what your goal is, here's what the end is. And, you know, I mean, you just see so much as you read this. It can be really helpful, you know, really every time we study a book like this. If we could read it through you know, maybe several times, or think through it, and just try to understand what point is God making? One of the hard things for me is to see the overall points. It's easier for me to study story by story and not connect the dots. But when we can step back and even say, okay, what, is, what do you really learn out of this book as a whole? Obviously, we've learned many good lessons as we go through, some lessons perhaps in each story, each chapter, but what are we intended to get out of this in a broader sense? And that's got to be one of the lessons that we need to learn is, you know, for us, when we want things like those around us, it's not going to work out well. Uh, it's a judgment on that. And it's a judgment on any time we want to select something for ourselves instead of wanting what the Lord would choose to give us. <coughs> you know, God's king, after his heart, worked out much better than the king after the people's choice. Other thoughts? And the people chose based on outward feelings. That wasn't good. Exactly. <coughs> exactly. It's such a powerful thing. Hannah. Um, this question is kind of going back a little bit. Um, it just reminded me of it, reading about the actual account of Saul and his son's dying. When Samuel says... Tomorrow, you and your son shall be with me. That is an expression meaning you're going to die. Like, it doesn't mean you'll be like with me 
You'll be dead too. You'll be dead too. I think it's interesting if you consider the state of Israel at this point. I mean, they always wanted you know a king like the nations, and at the end of this, they at that time would they have accepted David? I really don't think so because he really wasn't like a king of the nations. But at this point, you know, the country's in shambles. The Philistines are still attacking, and they've seen what a king like the nations is like. And I think it really took all of this happening for them to realize, okay, we want a king after God's own heart. And even at that, only Judah was willing to accept him at first. So, yeah, it took a while. Ben? I think we're, it's interesting that there's still some valiant and honorable men in, in Judah. I think uh, these men from Jabesh Gilead, it wasn't so easy for all the people in Israel to see, like, you know, Good riddance, you know, you, know you, you can stay in wherever you are with their headless and stuff. You know, but they decided to, to take him and, and to honor him as the Lord's anointed. Uh, I think it's a very honorable thing to do. Good point. I agree. Other thoughts? All right. Let me suggest one or two things as we close. Thankfully, the Lord provided for us to get through the book. That's, I think, helpful to see it in three days. I just want to reemphasize a couple of thoughts from just what we've done this, these three days is that we see the enjoyment and excitement of studying the Bible. We really haven't done anything other than that. There hasn't been anything artificial. We just look at what the text says. That's what's exciting. That's what's cool. And that's what we need to emphasize in everything we're doing. In our personal lives, read this, study it, look at it, and keep learning it. Learn the details. Learn, learn the overall story. Learn the storyline. Learn the results. Everything in the scriptures is God's word. It's God's bread for us. And we need it. We need as much of it as we can get. And we need to just constantly be feeding on it. It's what we need to be teaching. It's what, we don't need artificial, exciting enticements. We just need the book. We just need to constantly have God's word. And also, as you can see from these three days, those of you especially have been uh, able to, to be here with most all the studies, if there's a lot you can get by doing a book in three days. Because you kind of see the overall thing. When we stretch it out over a long period of time, we miss some of those things. But right now, the first of the book is still pretty fresh on our mind, and so it, we see how it ties in together. I think there are times, certainly, to do very detailed studies. But, but, but there's a lot of benefit in trying to, to do a, a study where we can get a lot in in a short time. And uh, obviously, there are people in, in the US willing to do that, as there are people in Brazil and various other places who want to study the Bible like that. So I appreciate your participation. Great comments that helps the study so much. It's really, really quite a benefit to be able to listen to each other. You've done a good job of restraining yourself. We haven't just had one or two people dominate, but a variety of comments from a variety of people. I appreciate that. And uh, appreciate the brethren of Burgersville letting me do this here. Um, we outgrew my basement in my old home several years ago, and uh, it's hard to find uh, houses big enough for this, so I appreciate that. And the brethren here certainly have been generous in providing food and lodging and other things and encouragement, so that's uh, encouraging. Appreciate you guys edifying each other, edifying the brethren here. All of that is a great blessing. Perhaps next year we will try Second Samuel, that's my inclination at the moment, and I think it would work out to where the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday between Christmas and New Year's is probably my best bet for that. So that's probably what we'll do. And uh, the people who are here, you need to get me your prayer sheets in if you're from Barbersville uh, by in the morning if we can do that. 
Uh, anything else that ought to be said before we have a closing prayer? And I hadn't thought about seriously bad about that. So I appreciate you being here. It's an encouragement, and, and may God bless us all in, in His service and uh, continue to edify and strengthen each other. JD, would you lead us in closing prayer?